0: A focus summary of Chapters twenty three through twenty seven of BUG-JARGAL A quarter of an hour before, Thaddeus had glided into the room unseen, his arm in a sling, and listened with interest to his captain's narrative. He remained quiet until he could no longer bear for the story to go on without tribute being made to Dauverny, and he interrupted. Taken aback to discover Thaddeus there, Dauverny greeted him informally and Thaddeus reacted with wounded offense. Dauverny's apology and address of him as my old friend brought tears to Thaddeus's eyes for the third time, but tears of joy. Dauverny asked Thaddeus why he had quitted the hospital, and Thaddeus made it clear he had returned so he could serve Dauverny. The other men teased him that he would have done better to take care of himself but they poured him a glass of brandy and cheered him when he saluted and drank. Thaddeus then took up the story. He said that his officer, who could not swim, had opposed the idea of taking refuge under the creepers until he saw a great rock fall upon them and fail to get through. The officer then agreed to the proposal as long as Thaddeus would try it first. Thaddeus slid down the bank, and there below the branches he encountered the blacks of the Mourne Rouge, who attacked him and covered him in sabre-cuts. He called for help, and his men fought bravely and better than their foes. Among the enemy was one big negro, who defended himself like the devil against eight or ten men. Thaddeus recognized Pierrot, and recalling the man's attack on the fort, seized him in a spirit of vengeance. Piero was about to return fight with a thrust of his dagger when he recognized Thaddeus and let him free. Then, seeing the approach of a militia about to enter the water, Pierrot shouted orders to his men, who plunged in the water and disappeared. Thaddeus stopped in his story and reflected that the battle would have been pleasant if only then he touched his cap in salute and raised his hand to heaven. Dauverny agreed it was a fatal night. Dauverny then resumed his own narrative, telling the men that while Thaddeus was thus engaged, he had climbed to a peak level with the Negroes and, with the militia, fired upon them. Outarmed, the Negroes fled to the neighboring rocks. Dauverny's army then improvised a bridge and crossed over to an advantageous post. The courage of the rebels was quenched, and Doverny saw the men of the Morne Rouge prostrate themselves before their blood-red banner, seize it, and plunge with it into the Grande Riviere. Resolved to drive the remaining rebels from their rocks, Doverny made a bridge of trees and was the first to dash across it. Before other soldiers could follow, one of the rebels broke it with a blow of his axe. In a moment, Doverny was seized and bound with cords. Then, Terror-stricken by approaching cries of victory, his captors fled into the forest, the strongest among them carrying Dauverny on his shoulders. They stopped at a wild and savage spot in a valley unknown to Dauverny. It was imprisoned by walls of bare rock, and though the day was breaking on the surrounding summits, it was still plunged in darkness. The shattered remains of the rebel army slowly arrived." Doverny was bound with a belt to the trunk of a tree. Recalling the stories of his generosity, Doverny asked if his captor would lead him to their chief, Bug Jargal. Perhaps it was a weakness, Doverny confessed to his listeners, but he wished to die a soldier's death, and not by slow torture. But the man only shook his fists with rage and cried out the name Biasu. Doverny felt all was over and he resigned himself to the threatened vengeance. A group of griot, heavily ornamented negresses known for accompanying the songs of their mad minstrel husbands with lascivious dances, were building a fire and forming a circle. They all took hands, and the eldest among them began chanting about the devil and throwing handfuls of her hair in the fire— The terrifying but absurd scene sent Dauverny into a fit of hysterical laughter. Disturbed from their incantations, they rushed upon him, as if to tear him to pieces. Then, at the cry of the old woman, they stopped, tore off their feather aprons, and began their sinister dance. The way each one thrust her face in front of his with a horrible laugh at certain pauses in the dance— persuaded him that the performance would end with his sacrifice. As the dance approached its conclusion, each one took some implement, like a saber or an axe or a saw, and held it in the fire until it was red. Dauverny was nerving himself for the moment he would feel their burning tortures when his captor reappeared in the company of a strange dwarf and demanded they leave him alone. This dwarf the color of a half-caste, wore a veil pierced with holes, a golden chain with a silver sun, a scarlet belt with a heavy dagger, a striped petticoat, and the hat of Habibra, still spotted with gore. The griot bowed before him, calling him the Obi, and at a gesture from him they fled like grasshoppers. Seeing Dauverny, the Obi fell back, muttered to himself, whispered in the ear of the Negro, and then retired, deep in thought. Dauverny's captor informed him that in an hour he was to meet with Biasu. While he waited, Dauverny let his glances wander over the enemy camp, where the Negroes were ostentatiously decked out in whatever fragments of dress they had found on their victims. They remained in a state of inaction, sleeping in the sun or chanting monotonously while their wives prepared their food. In the distance, he could hear the barbaric songs of the Griots and the Griot. Sentries guarded the headquarters of Biassou and groups of Negroes gathered around Doverny and looked upon him with a threatening expression.